When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Straight Up Sabres, presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo, brought to you by Thin Man Brewery. As always, I'm Brendan. And I'm Taylor. And Taylor, the hearts of the entire sports community and the country at large are with Buffalo Bills safety, DeMar Hamlin, who unfortunately experienced a cardiac arrest in the first quarter of the Bills' Monday night matchup against the Cincinnati Bengals. I know we all know what had happened, but just to give a little bit of background, after collapsing, uh, DeMar was given CPR on the field for approximately nine minutes, and his heartbeat was restored before he was transported to the University of Cincinnati Medical Center, where he is now in critical condition. It was a downright horrifying scene, and first and foremost, we want to extend our best wishes to DeMar, along with his family, teammates, and anybody who has been touched by this tragic event. We also need to acknowledge the medical staff who quite literally saved DeMar's life as tens of thousands watched in the sands with millions more watching at home. Their ability to work under that kind of pressure and as rapidly as they did was nothing short of heroic. Like all of you, I'm sure uh, I, I experienced a roller coaster of emotions as the situation unfolded. It was incredibly scary. And of course, the only thing that matters right now is DeMar's health and hopeful recovery. With that, we wanted to open today's episode by having a conversation about the incident and the latest news surrounding it. And while we wish it was under better circumstances, we are very happy to welcome Catherine Fitzgerald, Bill's reporter for the Buffalo News, to the pod for the first time. Catherine, welcome to Straight Up Savers. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. Um, I'm, you know, obviously a weird circumstance for sure, but have loved covering Damar and, you know, glad to shed more light on just who he is um, during this week when everyone's thinking so much about him. Absolutely. So just to kind of get in, I mean, where to to begin with something like this, but, but Catherine here in Buffalo, you know, we've had the unfortunate experience as Buffalo sports fans to witness horrific events such as Kevin Everett or Richard Zednick or Clinton Malarchuk among others. But this one sadly is standing out uh, among the rest. And as I alluded to in my intro, it's more than just the football world that this has touched. We're seeing stars from other sports and celebrities sending well wishes. Major news outlets have been providing around-the-clock coverage of this story, and understandably so. And obviously, it's one thing for you know the act of what happened itself, but as you alluded to also, just the the person that Damar is and, and his character as well. But again, this is just a story that is just... It's been everywhere. So I'm just kind of wondering from your experience as a reporter, can you just speak to the the gravity of this all and the reach that 
this has had throughout the entire country? Yeah, I mean, it's probably unlike anything I've ever covered. If I think through it, I've even in sports or reporting on news have covered a lot of scary, terrible situations, but um, there something felt very different about this one, even just from a football perspective of have seen other horrific injuries. Um, you know, even this season with the Bills, seeing what happened to Dane Jackson earlier this season, um, have seen things like this before. Saw a guy break his leg during training camp one year, not with the Bills, um, but, you know, have been up close to things like that. But this um, pretty quickly, you could tell just from the urgency of the medical staff that you mentioned, um, just jumping into action there, that there was something different about this. And um, yeah, it felt like a very weird thing to be witnessing and also trying to cover, but also not wanting to get anything wrong. And, um, you know, when it's something as sensitive as a player's health in a situation like that, um, just kind of trying to decide in real time what updates were significant, what was, you know, scary, but not knowing exactly what was going on still worth sharing. So, um, Kind of all that happening, though, in the background of just being really worried about Damar and trying to see what was happening there. Yeah, so it's it's a it's a terrible situation for a lot of reasons. But one thing that's kind of, I guess, was was jarring in the moment is how quickly it goes from uh, the game, the game that you're covering. It's, I guess, like the game of the year in the NFL. It's huge. It, it, you know, it's probably the highest leverage game of the season. And all of a sudden, none of that matters. All of a sudden, it's. It's uh and, and and it's at the same point uh when when us or anyone saw that he was down after the play you'd think it's an injury injuries happen every other play Taron Johnson had just gotten hurt a couple plays earlier um you might think that and then it just evolves really quickly from there or or devolves I should say and then all of a sudden it's uh this once in a lifetime type terrible event where there's someone being resuscitated on on national TV um from your perspective how did that unfold uh, in, in the press box, did people realize right away how serious it was? Uh, was it more visible that it, it wasn't a regular injury uh, right away from from there? Or or how did that go? Um, I think it kind of took a few steps of first trying to figure out, you know, we saw that someone was down, trying to make sure we could tell for sure who it was. But then, um, you know, I remember seeing uh, medical staff from both sides coming very quickly on with a backboard on one side, a stretcher on the other. And I, you know, I've seen people had to be put on stretchers on the field before, but I don't think I'd ever seen both go out once from the, or from opposite sides of the field, excuse me. Um, Jay Skirsky, my colleague, colleague at the Buffalo news, I think he was the one who could first tell CPR was happening. Um, you know, we're pretty high up from where we're sitting and, um, you know, that's not something I've obviously ever seen in a football setting before. Um, so I think it was kind of, you know, a few steps to realize exactly what was going on. Um, when I thought I saw what was an AED machine, I was like, that can't be right in my head, just kind of almost like, oh, certainly you must be mistaken. Like that can't be what's going on. Um, but you know, obviously it was such a serious situation. So um, yeah, I think we were all kind of trying to figure out what was going on, even though it's also, um, you know, you're, processing it while you're trying to report to and that was a a weird experience definitely definitely um uh 
with um, everything that's come out uh, about Demar Hamlin since, obviously he's a, a well-known guy because he's an NFL player. He's a starter on the Bills. Basically, every Bill is a celebrity in Buffalo, but you wouldn't say he's like the most well-known guy. So people maybe know know his personality as well as uh, Allen or Diggs. But then you you see everything that comes out after about not only his charity, which has uh, received millions of dollars in donations at this point. Uh, or, but also his personality and uh, how he seemed to be a, a guy that was really grateful to be playing in the NFL, even when it was uh, going on, and someone who really appreciated life. Uh, wh- what was your perception of him, uh, or what has been your perception of him as a player this season, uh, or as a person, I should say? Yeah, he's been really fun to get to know. Um, you know, this is my second year covering the team. He's in his second year, but last year, just kind of with the uh, media protocols from COVID, it was harder to get to know guys. Um, so this year it's been just, um, really nice to get to know everyone a bit better, but especially, you know, DeMar's locker is like one of the first ones in there. When you go in, I had done a longer story on him and Dane Jackson earlier in the season. And that's when I, you know, had talked to him a couple of times before that, but that's when I started to really get to know him more. Um, and just, you know, a really cool dude. I, like this past week, he was handing out hats in the locker room for his Chasing M's um, clothing line, which the same name as his foundation. So he's like got that really creative side too and the business savvy to go with it. Um, I think he's funny in kind of an understated way. Um, you know, anyone who follows the Bills knows there's some really strong personalities on this team <laughs> and um, even on this defense, especially. Um, so he and Dane Jackson, who are such good friends, I find them kind of similar. They're like a little bit quieter, but then, you know, they'll both say about each other, like, oh, he's a jokester, this and that. And you start to see it the more and more you talk to them. Um, So, and, you know, you mentioned the charity stuff too, just that he's made that um, such a big part, even obviously well before this week, the GoFundMe was from 2020, um, back when he was in college and didn't have money. And, you know, even still being, a second year guy in the NFL, a six round pick doesn't have like the absurd NFL money that some guys will have, but was still always prioritizing. How can I give back to the community that raised me and got me here um, and make things better for, for the next guy to come through from, from this specific place where I grew up. And, um, you know, I think that's so cool. I'm so hopeful there'll be more good news soon. And I think, you know, a lot of people have made the point of once he gets through all this kind of how great will that be? How powerful for him to see what support has come to him while he's been in critical condition and then spin that forward in ways that um, are really going to impact so many people. You had brought up before too, just with regard to the GoFundMe and Taylor's, you had said, I believe now it's, it's over North of 5 million, I believe at this point approaching six, or maybe it's, it, it's hit six almost. And this is something that, as we all know, Bills fans and just Buffalonians in general, we're, we're no stranger to in terms of wanting to give back. And in a situation like this, I think what really stood out to me the most was that it wasn't from a perspective of this reason that it was everybody, I think, was just kind of scared and felt like they needed to do something to give back. It's such a helpless situation. And as we're watching this unfold on TV and obviously Catherine for you being there in person, but you know, listening on TV and you could tell like the announcers, the ESPN crew, initially nobody had any idea of the gravity of it. And it just seemed very ominous that it just felt like there was the, the more and more that nothing was really being said, 
the scarier it kind of was. And then we hear about, you know, that CPR is being administered in, in the machines and, and that instant reaction. And I think that what's really remarkable about the response of all of it is just, again, that it, I think it was really coming from this place of kind of helplessness where we just wanted to do something for him, even though that there was nothing that we could do. And so Catherine, with you being such a prominent member of the media and really tapped into not only the players, but also the fans as well, you know, can you speak a little bit to your perspective on the the fan reaction side of this and and really the the good and unity that's kind of come from this? Yeah, I think like you mentioned, obviously the Buffalo fan base is not new to finding a cause like this, but what struck me is kind of how widespread this is across the NFL, across, um, you know, other sports too, even just general people um, who maybe don't necessarily follow too much what's going on in sports, but um, you know, you've seen some of the people donating in the GoFundMe and, um, you know, people have been verifying too, like this was that person since you can put down whatever name you want. Um, if you're donating $10,000 and putting down Tom Brady as your name, I think you probably are Tom Brady, but uh, that was also confirmed anyway. But, you know, you see the teams giving so much and, um, you know, I think that's so significant again, when that's something that he was kind of just doing quietly in the background. And now um, there's going to be this really big change too. Um, you know, the toy drive has been just one thing he's been doing and um, whether this is now for kids football camps or stuff like that, I think there's um, a lot of good to come from this, but yeah, to your point, just kind of that people want to do something, but you're kind of frozen. Like there's nothing to do when you're seeing something horrifying like this unfold. And um, I think there's a lot of other important steps that will have to happen from here. A lot of it from the league side on making sure players have all the mental health support they need. And the league has continued to talk about that from like a, you know, released a memo the other day of reminding everyone, here are the resources, let us know what you need more. Um, I think there are some other things kind of to take from this, even from, um, you know, talking to the league in a conference call today about um, players benefits only kick in after they've been in the league for a certain amount of time. So that would not happen to Damar in this case, if, you know, he were to need something extra, but they have said he'll be covered. And I think that's excellent. Um, I think also that should be the case for more people. So, um, you know, maybe some changes to come from that um, all to be determined, but I think in the interim, finding a way to um, make something, you know, positive while people are waiting for hopefully even better news on Damar himself. For sure. And I just wanted to point out too, I mean, Catherine, you've been like my, and I'm sure for countless other people to kind of go to Twitter account for keeping up with all of the latest news. If you're not following Catherine at kfits134 on Twitter, uh, you know, with that being said, you know, you've, you know, we've heard a lot from Troy Vincent. We've heard from, from folks all across the league, really, for that matter. You know, with your experience, how do you feel as though in a situation like this that's so unique, how, how do you feel that the league has responded in the aftermath of it? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think I personally haven't had too much time to process some of that of just trying sure. to, um, you know, see all the updates as they come. And at least in my role right now, a lot of it's been a bit more covering breaking news and getting to step back and be like, oh, this is 
what should change, what shouldn't. Um, I think the most important thing was learning more about the, you know, medical standpoint, their emergency action plan. Um, and I think, you know, obviously it went really well from that standpoint, as scary as the situation was of getting um, urgent care to him on the field, getting stuff afterwards. And so I think that's kind of, um, you know, something that I obviously was like listening to the entire call today, but especially listening to those parts of like, oh, this is really interesting to me, um, you know, just from a, a standpoint of what do you do to prepare for these in hopes that they never happen of as far as, sure. um, you know, they, Dr. Alan Sills was talking on the call today, the NFL's chief medical officer about what they do during uh, the summer, I believe, to like practice these plans. And, you know, what do you do to be ready for when it happens? Um, and this is like, absolutely not the same at all. I'm not trying to super compare it, but I used to have to have like CPR and first aid for some of my jobs. And, you know, you would practice of like, okay, so-and-so has to like lie down over there on the ground because they're unconscious. And then you know, the rest of y'all will respond and go through it. And so um, I remember, you know, as like a pool lifeguard, absolutely not the same situation at all, but being like, oh, okay, like this is helping me understand all this. And the more they were talking through stuff like that, it's, it's a weird comparison, I know, but just kind of adding some clarity of, oh, this is what they do, you know, to be ready for these situations and then have that same medical plan for preseason games, for everything. So that like, God forbid, when things like this happen, there's no question of like what happens from that standpoint. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know that that totally answers that question. I think there's still kind no. of a lot evolving there, but um, I thought that was, you know, it was helpful to get more insight on that, um, you know, starting, I mean, there was a league conference call at like 1230 in the morning after this game had happened of kind of explaining some of, here was what the communication looked like. Um, and then some follow-up today of just like, here's what, um, from a medical standpoint, like these are our kind of pillars of our plan of, I think it was emergency action plan, equipment and experience of like, those are their three E's of how they prepare people. Um, since there's different facets here too, of like the team staff, um, on site, but unassociated staff and, um, you know, a lot of people working together to be ready for these situations. No, that totally answered the question. I think that's a really important component to this entire conversation that at, 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 when it came down to it and in the moment, something that Taylor said too, it's like a one in a million thing that they were able to just step up to the plate and literally saved his life. I mean, it's again, all of the props, kudos, everything go to those medical personnel who stepped in in that moment. Definitely, definitely. And I think um, a story that uh, had not, not a story that come out, a thing that people uh, were reminded of that was really right before my time as a football fan. So I had no knowledge of it. But uh, Reggie Brown on the Lions in, uh, the, I don't know, I guess the late 90s, it must have been uh, having a spinal cord injury on the field and then uh, his heart stopping. Uh, this would have been in Detroit like 25 years ago. And the only person that was on the sidelines for the Lions was an orthopedic surgeon. So he did the the CPR himself uh, and ultimately saved his life. And now NFL sidelines, as you mentioned, the, the kind of plans they have and how robust um, the medical staffs are. And we even saw that when with, with Kevin Everett years ago and how, uh, I guess, how prepared they can be in these situations. 
Um, but I did want to bring up something you, you mentioned earlier about um, the fans kind of donating to the charity and how it's it's something to do when you don't know what else to do in a situation when you want to help but you don't know how i think that's kind of a, a point you think because i don't think it really just applies to fans i think it's in this situation was such a widespread thing because uh players obviously when when the cpr is being performed there's nothing they can do but kind of stand there and be there with each other and then beyond that you look at the broadcast which i thought they did a very good job on espn but what joe buck kept saying especially early on was there's nothing else we can do or say at the moment, there's nothing to say. And so they didn't, they didn't say anything inappropriate or speculate or anything like that. But then you, you can even go to like the fans, like you mentioned, or even really in some cases, uh, the media, because I, I think you, you would know, but anyone who would know, uh, who anyone would know if they read the Buffalo news, what the day after a uh, bills game, what, how robust the, just the bills part of the sports section is there's, there's so much content there and it's always been like that. And in this situation, it's so hard because there's, there's really no game to mention there's and even the first 10 minutes or whatever that actually got played is totally not worth mentioning with this situation. So did you kind of feel that in general, that there's almost so little you can do except these up kind of getting updates uh, and waiting on updates from, from the league and, and medical personnel. Um, As far as like from a, what we ended up doing during that standpoint, I think it felt like time both went very slow and very fast. Um, we ended up, I, you know, credit to our editors, page designers behind the scenes who were still able to, this is a bit of a tangent, but just like a night game going into it anyway, we know it's going to be kind of frazzling from like a newspaper perspective of getting things in there. And so obviously things were changing very quickly, but um, just like some you know, to explain our process, we had three of us writers there in person, a photographer there on the field. Um, after we had all been there for a bit, you know, after the injury, after the game's been postponed at that point, one of the three of us went to the hospital to try to see what was happening there. Um, that was our, my colleague, Ryan, my colleague, Jay was writing kind of like the main, here's what happened. Here's what we know. We had that call at, you know, 1230 in the morning to add more stuff in there. And then, um, I wrote some about the charity updates at night and I think I wrote something else. I can't remember. It's the couple of days have all kind of run together, but um, there was still for us, there was also just kind of like a lot of real time updates of, will the team stay here tonight? Um, what's happening on this? Um, you know, reaching out to try to um, check in with other people related to this and stuff like that. So there was, it was just very different from like a broadcast standpoint of like, there was a lot kind of happening for us behind the scenes, but it wasn't, we didn't have to like fill air during it. Um, so I think like, I don't know if that totally made sense, but it was a very different scenario right. just from like the outlet standpoint. Um, but there, yeah, a lot of it was just trying to figure out like, you know, what exactly is going on. We weren't sure at a certain point if um, the coaches of their team would address the media and, absolutely understand that they didn't but just wanted to be prepared in case they did so you know like I went downstairs at one point just in case they were to speak to be ready knowing that it could go either way and again totally understand why they wouldn't but just kind of um trying to do everything we could to be prepared for whatever would happen next from a new standpoint Definitely. Well, Catherine, we really appreciate you coming on. As we said, obviously, unfortunate circumstances, but we'd love to have you back on as the Bills are now gearing up for, of course, a very exciting playoff run here. So hopefully we can have you back on and can talk some Bills football soon, too.
Yeah, thank you guys so much for having me. Absolutely. Well, we really appreciate it. Again, make sure you're following Catherine on Twitter. Make sure you're also actually Catherine. Is there anywhere else people anywhere else people can find you online? Um, Twitter and then just like the Buffalo or Buffalo um, or if you still read the physical paper, that's great too. We love a print subscriber. Um, <laughs> but yeah, those are the main spots. Very cool. Well, thank you again so much for coming on. We really, really appreciate it. All right, folks, we're here for the second half of the episode, talking a little bit of Sabres. But before we do that, let's hear uh, some word from our sponsors. First, DraftKings. Hockey fans, light the lamp this winter with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. New customers can bet just $5 pregame money line on any NHL team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. If that wasn't enough excitement, you can turn small bets into bigger payouts with same-game parlays. Combine multiple bets, like which team will win, how many goals will be scored, and more for your shot and even bigger payout. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN. Bet $5 on any NHL team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code THPN for the Hockey Podcast Network. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details and responsible gambling resources. All right. Next, Thin Man Brewery. Two convenient locations in Western York on Elmwood Avenue and Chandler Street. Here's what they got going on now. They're doing simple lines intertwining this week. It's an IPA brewed with Citra, Cryo, and Mosaic. Sounds interesting. Also, well-worn boot show and beer release, which is a black IPA that's at Elmwood on Friday the 13th. It didn't occur to me till right now that we're getting a Friday the 13th this month. So that's good. I like that. I like Friday the 13th. I was going to say that's big for you. Yeah, more so the day than the movie. Wow. Not, not Not a real fan of the series, but you know what? I could watch them. Uh, but yeah, so those are two things I got going on. And another one coming up this weekend, they have the Drag Brunch at the Elmwood Thin Man on Sunday the 15th. So that'll be next week, actually, when you when you listen to this. It's next Sunday the 15th. So that's what Thin Man's got going on. Do you have anything to add on Thin Man, Brendan? We love Thin Man. I'm playing at the Chandler Street location on January 21st, Saturday night. Good and... stuff. So that's another thing that's going on with Thin Man. Uh, one more thing on Thin Man. Uh, A new official position. Oh. Which is Yuri Coolidge for the 23-24 Calder. Just got the word over the wire. Wow. Yvonne sending it through? Yeah. So what do we think? uh, We want to move on right to that because Yuri Coolidge scored the game-winning goal today. So Chechia is going to the uh, finals to face someone from North America. Not clear yet. He defeated his Sabres prospects counterparts, Noah Ostland and Isaac Rosine of Sweden. Thriller. He, six goals in six games. Coolidge is a bad man. That dude is awesome, and he just continues to seem like he's getting better and better, and it seems like more and more of a home run pick for Kevin Adams, and this guy hasn't even stepped foot on an NHL rink yet. 28th overall pick, right? 26th overall pick? Eight. 28th, 28th overall pick. And got to say, it seems like he has, with with today's win, now he's officially hopped over those guys in the Sabres prospect ranking. You, you pretty much have to say that. I mean, I'm joking definitely. a little bit, but also it's kind of true. I mean, I how can you not say that? I, I think Yeah, well, sure not just because he won today, but because of how he's played. 
Well, I think, yeah, of course. And you have to look at the other guys too. I mean, it's, and that's not to say that Rosine or Ostland look bad necessarily because both of them did have their moments throughout the tournament. Ostland had, or excuse me, Rosine had a, a handful of really nice goals and he's been getting much better too as the year has gone on with the Amherst. Matt Savoy has been having a so-so year right now. I mean, so-so for, you know, a top 10 pick standards. He's playing, I think, just at or maybe a little bit below. I, I'd have to double check a point per game base, but definitely not to the level that you would like him to be. And when you look at Coolidge, he's gotten better as the year has gone on. When he was drafted, he was billed as maybe the most NHL-ready of the three. What we had seen him build as and, and in terms of his strengths – namely being the fact that he's very strong on the puck. He's got a great shot, good offensive playmaker. Seems like he's got a little bit of a physical aspect to his game as well, have been shining through for him. And he just seems like he continues to get better. And he very, very well could be playing his way into an opening night roster spot next year, depending on how this offseason goes. But if he keeps playing at the level that he is, they're going to have a hard time, hard time telling him no. And who knows, you know, Savoy was the higher pick, but maybe we end up seeing Coolidge sticking in the NHL sooner. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a definite possibility the way things are going right now. He's he's been uh, even on draft night. I think people, some people out there, thought it was steal to get him that late in the first round, but it's been nothing but a uh, positive momentum since then. So yeah, it'd be it'd be cool. I think almost at this point, I almost expect him to make the team out of camp next year. I think it's it's less realistic and more of a probability at this point. And yeah, well, you know, that's that's pretty cool. I, I suppose off the top of my head now, he's the last uh, Sabres prospect left now, isn't he? In yes. Juniors. Yes. So good for him. Let's see. Bring it home. Interesting. You know, upset Canada if it ends up being them. Yeah, Absolutely. Now, That'd who's this bozo on Canada that has 38 points or whatever? Good Lord. Oh, my God. This man is breaking charts right now. Connor Bedard. Whew. He is going to be something special to watch, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a really interesting thing because now I'm kind of wondering – who gets it? Because now people are saying, well, this is what people are teams are tanking for. This is why Chicago did all that. It's like, what? To get like a 6% better chance at getting right. him? You can't tank for guys anymore. They'll be over this. But uh, I, I think, I, well, there is also the counter argument. You finish last, you're guaranteed top three, and you get one of him or the other two fellows who people are very excited about. But with him, I think it's really interesting because now I'm thinking about him on teams the way I was with McDavid. Obviously, McDavid, I was thinking being a saber. But now it's like, damn, it, Connor Bedard's not going to be a saber. Who? What, what team is he going to be on? I don't like Chicago being rewarded for anything, actually. really prefer that didn't happen. But do we want him on Edmonton? No. Not Edmonton, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> He's not going to Edmonton. Jesus. Yeah. Of course, the answer is no there. Do, do we want him on Anaheim? Like, cause now it's like Anaheim sucks now, but they could really uh, take off quick with him, Zegras, everyone you know else. What my going answer on. to that is, I want him going to Anaheim if they switch back to teal and egg or teal and eggplant. If they make that switch back and go back to the '90s and early 2000s jerseys, then Connor Bedard can go to Anaheim only under those circumstances. Yeah, I suppose so. I suppose so. He. Uh... What about San Jose? San Jose, I actually like the San Jose idea because I was thinking, you know who deserves him? Columbus. 
Oh, God. But I don't want him in Columbus because first, I don't want him in the East. Yeah, and Second, no. come on, Columbus, I don't want him in Columbus. But Absolutely I mean, not. him and Gaudreau, that'd be interesting. But, you know, I mean, Gaudreau's going to be in his 30s. You know, it's basically dying being 30. Anyway. You know uh, where I bet he ends up? Where? If I could be a conspiracy theorist for a minute, sure. even though I'm really not, I'm just going to take a wild guess. Philly. Oh. I know. Oh. I know. But you know what I mean? Listen, pal, if the NHL uh, could pull off anything like that, uh, it would be an entirely different league we'd be watching. I know, but I'm just – it's not even me saying that the NHL would do something like that, but it's more so it just – You're being a, a pessimist. It feels like it makes sense that that is what is going to end up happening. Not that I'm saying that somebody's going to be switching the ping pong balls around or anything like that, but – Something just something very not good inside of me makes me feel like it might be Philly. And God, I hope I'm wrong. Yeah. Bedard playing for Tortorella. Go. Actually, no. I do want to see that. <laughs> just getting back. Take it back. This guy doesn't have what it takes. Oh. You could my learn God. a thing or two from yeah, uh, I, don't I don't know. Travis Sandheim. No, um, you know what I would really like to see happen? I want Vancouver to tear it all down and I want him to go to Vancouver. I wouldn't mind him playing in his hometown. That'd be kind of cool. Also, what do you have against Connor Bedard? <laughs> nothing. I truly nothing. I think Vancouver's cool. What do you mean? It'd be great. No, I mean as a place. Yeah, I'm talking about as a franchise. Well, as a franchise, I mean it's horrible, but they have good jerseys. Hmm. I'm not mm. thinking I'm thinking about what he's going to look cool in and where it'll be cool for him to end up like a good city that could make it interesting. And I think there's a good storyline there with the hometown generational prospect, uh, generational player ended up ended up getting drafted there and he gets to wear those cool blue and green jerseys. Maybe occasionally we'll get to see him in the black, yellow and red ones. I don't like any jersey the Canucks have ever had. Especially what? the stick in the middle of the rectangle. I mean, that's fine, but you haven't liked any of them. You didn't. Oh my god, their two thousands ones were even good too. The like, those are the best ones they've had. Yeah. Oh my god, you don't like any of their jerseys? I definitely don't like their like ninety four cup jerseys. Oof. Oof. Uh, not a fan. Also, I would like him to be in San Jose. But also, also now that I'm saying that out loud, don't we ever want one of these fun guys to be by ever? I ever, I mean, Connor McDavid was one guy that went to the West Coast, but don't we, don't we want this guy in the East Coast? Now I'm saying that again, though. Do we want an Eastern Conference? No. Forget everything I just said. We're sending him to San Jose. Cool <laughs> jerseys. Reminds me of the '90s. I'm sick of them not being good, and White Greer deserves a break. San Jose is probably my number one team. Yeah. Let's be clear. I think Vancouver would be a cool idea, but they're not at the top of the list. I think San Jose is probably number one. I really don't mind if he goes to the Ducks. Him and Zegras together would be super fun. Definitely not Arizona. Yeah. Oh, my God. Definitely not. Definitely oh not my, Montreal. Get, get out of here with them. Not Montreal. Yeah, it just it feels like those are really the options then because I don't want him going to Columbus. I didn't think about Montreal, but they're pretty bad. So that's a possibility. Philly, definitely not. Oh. Yeah, let's go with the West Coast. I, I think it's San Jose. Yeah, San Jose. Last place is Chicago. Second last, Montreal. Third last, Arizona. 
Because I think he would just leave Arizona after. I don't know, man. I guess NHL players don't leave that Rank much. those three from where you want him to go to where you don't want him to go. I would rather him go to Arizona. Uh, I don't want Chicago to ever be good or interesting again. So, last. And then Montreal, I don't want him in the division. Uh, and I don't know. Man. You'd rather have him in Montreal than in Chicago? Yeah, I, uh, yeah. You would? Yeah. Taylor, come on. I mean, I get what you're saying, but like. I'm, I'm going to do you'd some. You'd rather play work. against him year round than have him just be in Chicago. Hey, I would cut off one of my fingers if it meant two of the Blackhawks fingers. <laughs> They're a terrible, terrible organization. Let's say there's a different okay, world. Okay, well, yeah, where... all right, that is fair. That I I obviously agree with you in that sense. I'm speaking about it solely from the from a hockey perspective, perspective. Obviously, I don't want him in the East. So, send yes, him to I Montreal. don't want him in Montreal. Fine, send him to Montreal. You're right. I mean, they just – it's tough. They need a refund Ugh. for their most recent first overall pick. Huge bust. Literally huge. So – I'm sure that's going to go over really well <laughs> with hey, our Montreal think... fans. Yeah. Speaking of busts, man. Whoo! Alexis. Alexi. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oof. Poor guy. Do we give the Rangers the charity of taking this guy off their hands, Taylor? We could offer him Hanestroza and Yoki Haru. I think I could. You guys want some depth? Uh, you want some toughness? I don't know, man. I'm not sure. I don't think I would part with, like, Josh Bloom or Oliver Nadu. They're just too important to trade for a guy like that when there's so many questions, you know? Did you see a Rangers fan yesterday being, like, a small part of me would trade the entire kid line for Tage Thompson? A, a small part a of A small me. part of you would? Really? Yeah. A, a small, small part, part of me would give a away my headphones part. for $1 million. Yeah, I would, I would, you know what? Call me crazy. I would trade these three bozos who suck for a Hart Trophy candidate. Yeah, call me crazy, Taylor, but I think I would maybe consider being an executive of a billion-dollar company that doesn't do anything as compared to being a dishwasher. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. I mean, it's really interesting that Rangers fans – that that is such a thing with their fan base. Obviously, we all noticed it during Eichel, but a lot of the replies to that guy were Rangers. Well, a lot of Rangers fans were like, "Yeah, duh, of course we do that." But all of them were like, "Tage is a good example of why you don't trade young guys when they're not performing well." Gotta say, I don't agree. I don't. I don't think Tage is an example of anything. I, I Tage is what's called an outlier. Absolutely, I think that there is a. I understand that there is a big disconnect between fans using that line of logic and an actual NHL executive using that line of logic. And I just, for the life of me, then again, stranger things have happened. We've seen some pretty atrocious trades or valuations of players, whatever, but nobody in their right mind can look at the jump that Tage made and say, we could do this too, or we got to hang on to this guy for a little bit longer because yeah, it is such an outlier. There's, there's been nothing like this in like the history of the NHL. It just so happens that the bills and Sabres have like the two cases of guys where they just turn into absolute freaks seemingly overnight. Yeah. I think you can't expect that the exact same thing to ever happen again. There's lessons, I guess you could learn 
like the one for Allen is maybe you trust guys with good physical tools who maybe haven't had anyone to teach them how to use them yet. And with Tage, uh, play guys in the position they're supposed to be in. <laughs> if things Ooh, are going guys super... to the more difficult position, it works every time. <laughs> yeah. That's why the Tage thing doesn't feel replicable, replicable at all is because I guess the only real lesson is such a vague one. It's if things are going wrong with a really talented guy who's also trying hard, it's not an off-the-ice issue or a mental issue, uh, maybe try switching things up. But ah, that's such a vague, that's such vague advice. Well, and honestly, it always annoyed me when people are like, during the Myers era and then Ristolainen, it's like, you can't give up on these guys. What about Chara? Which is always annoying because Chara was an all-star in his age 24 season. So if the guy's 24 and he's not an all-star, then... He's behind Chara. And also, there's been a lot of really tall defensemen who aren't good. Chara was the one who I it, it, he he wasn't the only one who was good, but he was like he was the guy who made a leap from being kind of bad in his early twenties to all of a sudden great. People talking about Joe Finley. We gotta wait it out. We gotta wait it out. <laughs> Joe Finley. <laughs> well, can we speaking of good big boys though, I think we need to show Tage some love right now. As we all know, everybody, on Tuesday, the Sabres took down the Washington Capitals 5-4 to four in overtime as Tage Thompson's MVP-level season continued. Tage scored a hat-trick, including the overtime winner, and added a beautiful assist on Alex Tuck's goal. The Sabres got out to a 3-1 to one lead, but the Capitals came storming back thanks to two goals from the guy who's going to keep the all-time goals record warm until Tage catches him, Alexander Ovechkin. UPL made 28 saves and helped the Sabres pick up the W after a tough loss against Ottawa, which was their third game in four nights after getting 10 games off. But let's talk about Tage here. He has now reached 30 goals in 36 games. Only two Sabres, according to NHL.com, have reached 30 in a season in uh, in a fewer games. Alexander Mogilny hit 30. Uh, hit it in 30 games in 1992, 1993. <laughs> and yeah, ridiculous. And Pat LaFontaine, 31 games in 1991, 92. So to keep this Tage love going, great account on Twitter. Any Sabres fan, if you do not follow this account, you should. Buffalo Sabres stats. They put Tage's dominant season into perspective on Tuesday night in a series of tweets. Taylor, are you ready for some of these numbers right now? I am. Tage Thompson has 55 goals in his last 82 games played. The last Sabres player to have at least 50 goals in an over 80 or over an 82 game span was Thomas Vanek from 2008 and 2009. Vanek peaked at 53 goals from 2808 to 2609. Tage Thompson in his last 82 games played, Taylor. Excuse me, I got that wrong. It's not 55, it was actually 56 goals, but in his last 82 games, he has 56 goals, 47 assists, and 103 points. Tage's 30 goals this season are already the fifth most in a season by a Sabres player in the post-tank era from 15-16 to present, and we are not even halfway through the season. Tage also started the season with one goal in his first seven games. We had actually, Taylor, after the first couple of games, had talked about the fact that we weren't worried at all, but Tage definitely needed to turn it up a notch a little bit uh you know with that new contract coming his way and boy oh boy all he has done then since then is score 29 goals through his next 29 games again those numbers courtesy of buffalo saber stats on twitter taylor it's not a matter of if tage is going to finish this season in the top five in mvp voting it is how high he is going to finish give me your thoughts 
on where he stands currently in the race right now and just how monumental this season that Tage Thompson is having. Well, I'd say it really depends if the Sabres sneak in the playoffs. He's probably second. It's going to be really interesting. Connor McDavid is somehow 18 points ahead of him. So that's that's annoying. Knock it off, man. Stupid. But and I don't know if Edmonton's going to make the playoffs or not, but if he ends up leading the league in points by 30-plus, there's precedent for that with uh, Lemieux winning, I think, at 89. Uh, lead, he led the league by quite a bit, and the Penguins were like just out of the playoffs, which Edmonton could be. Uh, but yeah, the Tage, those numbers, I read them yesterday on Twitter and mind blowing, mind blowing numbers. Uh, it's, it's just really astounding that it's not just someone is doing this for the Sabres. It's that he's doing this. Like I would still be astounded if Jack Leichel had been doing this, if he had, if that had worked out and he was here and given him, you know, what big of a deal he was, but no, it's not even just that it's this guy doing it. And he's six, seven. He, he skates like a gazelle. He stick handles like a guy who's like 5'8". It's just – it's really cool. And I, I just going through those numbers, it's it's wild how high he's going to be in the uh, Sabres all-time uh, single-season lists this year, both in terms of goals and points. There's a real shot, a real good shot if he's healthy, that he's second all-time in goals for single season behind McGillney, obviously. And there's another good shot that he's – well, he, I think he's going to easily be in the top 10 for points if he's healthy, but he could get pretty close to the top five. There really are not that many seasons in Sabres history where someone's had more than 100 points. In fact, you and I have never really watched it happen. We watched Briere get to 95. Not a lot of guys got close besides that. It, it was really before our time. LaFontaine did it a couple times. Perot did it. Uh, <laughs> that might be it. Lafon- oh, McGillney. LaFontaine, Perot, McGillney. Well, not many. The other, thing, the other thing too that we haven't even talked about. Yeah, he's that far back of McDavid when it comes to overall points. He's only three back of McDavid though in the goals race. We're we're talking about Tate yeah. potentially being in legitimate contention for the Rocket Richard. Hundred percent. Think back to two years ago, Taylor, and imagine me saying that sentence out loud. The Rocket Richard. It's. it's we didn't it's know this guy was going to be in the NHL. Yeah, I didn't want him to be. <laughs> like, what? I didn't want him to come back. What has happened here? Yeah, it's good absurd. luck, Rangers fans. Replicate that. Jesus. Yeah, that's why, and we say this just as much as Bills fans as Sabres fans, and Jeremy White has said this too of WGR, so he's some, he's a uh, a reliable source, you would say, on, on the matter. The Tage jump is crazier than the Allen jump. For sure. And the reason, just to give context For to why sure. I think that, it's not even talent. It's not just draft position. It's not not even any of that stuff. The thing is, when Allen got to the NFL, this is something that's super ignored now, his 18 and 19 seasons, they're always categorized as bad and everything after is good. But that's not exactly right. He didn't make one leap. He made three leaps. Yep. His first, his debut in the NFL, not good. But everyone knew he was a project. Everyone knew that he had a bad support system in terms of receivers, offensive line. Uh, they had a brand new court offensive coordinator. It was going to be an adjustment and he was not good. Then he came back from injury in the second half of his uh, rookie year. And he still wasn't very good at passing. He threw a couple of pretty deep balls, but he ran the ball a lot and he ran the ball unbelievably well, like as well as anyone ever had in this three game period. He had 300 yards, I believe in his first three games back. And it was like, Oh my God, is this guy the best running quarterback ever? No, it turns out, but he's still really good at it. He comes back. He's still basically that same guy 
the first like five games or so of 2019. And it's like, I don't know, man, this guy's too many picks, not enough touchdowns too inaccurate. Something happens. Cause they're still four and one with all that. They, they were very lucky four and one. And the last 11 games of that regular season, he basically became a guy that was no one wanted to hear this on either side, but uh, he was kind of like an elevated Tyrod Taylor, like a Tyrod that was more clutch because he ran the ball well. He threw the ball decently well. He threw accurate, more accurately than he had in the past, still not very accurate, but he didn't take a lot of risks. He did not throw basically any picks over the last few months of that season. Like mid-October on, he was basically not throwing picks, but he also was never throwing for like 300 yards, didn't throw for a ton of touchdowns. I thought he was pretty good in the playoff game, but he also made some psychotic decisions, <laughs> and they lose. And then that's when you see the third leap coming into the next season. So you see him become a good runner, become a less risky player, and then you see him become a great player. And to me, that everything's been – I mean, he's gotten slightly better, but I, don't, I wouldn't say he's made a leap since then. He's just been – he's gotten – he's improved with uh, experience. Tage – let me run you through Tage real quick. Tage was an NHL player briefly in St. Louis. He was an AHL player too. He also played uh, what one year at UConn? Mm-hmm. and only scored in the power play, scored zero even strength goals. He was a decently high pick, too. He was a project guy, a big physical guy. He comes to the AHL, not really all that uh, productive in the AHL, but he played in St. Louis for whatever reason. I don't know, probably pressed into duty because they were not as good the year before they won the Stanley Cup. Wasn't good, but he was a prospect. Comes to Buffalo, gets put in the lineup immediately, and is so bad. He can't even stay up for a team that is collapsing. The team's in free fall. They sent him back to Rochester. Mind you, as the centerpiece of the O'Reilly trade, St. Louis wins the cup. They come back the next year. He starts in Rochester, does not make the team out of camp. Again, a team that was not very good. He gets, he is decently productive. Finally, he gets good production in the AHL in the short stint. Comes up one period of one game and he gets hurt. And then it's this mystery thing. And then it's like, oh, he's out for two months. Classic Sabres medical staff at that point. And then he comes back again, healthy, ready to go. He was kind of really not making the team out of camp either in this post-COVID season. That that weird season where they had to be in their own division. The 56-game season. He's kind of a taxi squad guy. But then he gets, again, pressed into duty. And this time, he's still not good. <laughs> He was bad. He scored eight goals in like 35 games, and that was considered an improvement. He looked a little bit more – I don't know. He looked a little less bad, I should say, more competent when Granado got hired near the end of the season. They had – they all – but really, the end of the season, if you're like, which disappointing prospect do you have more faith in based on how they played under Granado, 100 out of 100 Sabres fans would have said Casey Middlestad. No doubt. And then that, of course – the rest is history. He starts, he, he moves the center. He's all of a sudden the first line center. And then he's a good solid player to start last year. Alex Tuck joins his line after he comes back from injury. Boom. He's a 38 goal scorer this year. He's an MVP candidate and it feels sustainable. So that's why it's crazier to Allen crazier than Allen. Well, um, and I think the other thing too, is even thinking about the jump from last year to this year is not, like the initial jump for him is crazy, obviously, but there's a difference. It may not be this huge, massive one, but you could score 38 goals in the league. That's obviously an achievement, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're among the upper echelon of players in the league. 
he went from being like, wow, okay, Tage is actually legit now. Maybe we got ourselves like a really good second line center to, oh my God, maybe we have one of the 10 best players in the NHL. Like yeah. it seems impossible that after the jump that he, like, cause you, like you said, that's a great point that Allen was more of proper ascension where it felt like he was kind of hitting levels as he went along. Tage was like doing nothing and then just like, buries his head in a mountain of cocaine and is now <laughs> one of the best players in the NHL after two years ago we're saying that this guy probably doesn't even have a place in the league within the next couple of years. Yeah, you you would uh, if you went back you could find episodes of definitely I, I said that I didn't I wasn't interested in him coming back and I didn't get much of an NHL player but he was under contract anyway so you might as well. But yeah, so it's uh it's worth remarking on. We'll probably mention it a hundred more times this year how uh how crazy his season is. And uh I don't know if this is the last thing we want to talk about, but there was uh some I guess you would say Sabres non news that Jacob Verana uh he went on waivers to some people's surprise for the Red Wings. Now he was a big trade piece a couple years ago. Uh Washington traded him at the, the trade Mantha. deadline. Yep. For Anthony Mantha, yeah, in a kind of win now mode. And Verana Really, uh, been an impressive guy for the Red Wings. Good goal scorer, uh, and he. But he entered the player assistance program, which I think was formed. I don't know a couple of years ago. It was during the last CBA, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. And it's it's not always clear why someone goes into that. Uh, Carey Price went into that a couple of years ago. Uh, so that there's not really a lot of clarity when someone does that when they're going to come back what's going on with them that they can't play. I think it's, you know, it's partially a privacy thing, but it's also a resource for players. So for whatever reason, uh, he's, he was put on waivers. He's owed 5.25 million. Well, his cap hit is 5.25 million this year. He's owed that next year as well. It is a really interesting situation. I think it's, but I think it's also very telling two things. First of all, no one claimed him. You, you know that by now because we know it. He uh, went through the waiver wire uh, and also uh, Detroit's reasoning for getting rid of him, saying it had to do not just with the roster crunch, but what had been going on the last few months, which, again, that's not clear to us or really anyone, as far as I know. So I know a lot of Sabres fans wanted him, and he actually did make sense in some ways for the Sabres. But I have to think that that this might be a situation where the the GMs uh, know something that we don't know. Yeah, and that's got to be it. I mean, I would think unless they're, you know, I saw a couple of people. I replied to our tweet about it originally with what a point that Jay Fresh had made that there's maybe like some unspoken agreement that nobody was going to claim him, but he absolutely would have been a significant upgrade to the third line. I mean, I mean that is a move that they 100% should have made when you consider his finishing ability, and also on top of that. I can't remember who it was. Somebody had pointed out, but it was one of my immediate thoughts too, that this is like a young quality top six winger here. And if you're inserting that into your middle six there, that also gives you more flexibility to trade one of your younger trade pieces among maybe one of the recent first round picks for making that big move for a top four defenseman, like having a guy like Verana on your third line, absolutely enables you to be able to do that. Obviously, of course, he cleared. We don't know why. We maybe never will know exactly what the full story is there. 
but definitely a little bit disappointing because it would have made a lot of sense and also probably would have cleared the way for Victor Olofsson and or Casey Middlestad to get traded as well. Yeah, definitely. I should also clarify, I just looked this into this. Uh, the player assistance program has been around since 1996, so I was not correct about that. I just, I honestly don't remember hearing about it until the last couple of years, so I just kind of assumed it was a new thing. Uh, but the Red Wings coach, Derek Lalonde, his uh, exact quote was, uh, well, he, he, I shouldn't say blame, but he he credited the move to Steve Eiserman, said that uh, really don't want to go into the details of it, especially with the situation where Jacob is and his coming back, wanted to be private, personal to him, but ultimately we had to make a decision and that was a decision. Uh, and then also at some point said that his lack of availability did play into it. Uh, so who knows? You know what? That's actually a good point, though that I hadn't really thought of with Jay Fresh that maybe there is this unspoken agreement to, to be cool. If a player is going through this and the team wants to handle it, to just let him go through waivers. That's a interesting possibility. Yeah. It's, it's definitely worth considering. Yeah. And also I should say the, basically what it is assistance program, it gives players access to confidential phone line and counselors in each city in the league. Uh, it's a jointly funded group that assists players and their families with mental health, substance abuse, and other matters. So uh, it could be a lot of things. So that's uh, that will not be happening for the Sabres. But is there anything else you, uh, you wanted to mention about the Sabres? Not particularly. Uh, what do we have coming up? We have Minnesota on Saturday. Do we have anything before then, though? Yeah. Uh, or no. Just Minnesota Saturday, right? Minnesota Saturday. Well, hey, if you're at the game, I'm performing in the pregame intermissions, so keep an eye out for that. Yeah, that'll be fun. Is it and slow animals or canadas? Slow animals, yeah. Hey, also, very, very important, actually, thing that I have to add now that I think about it. Happy early birthday, my friend. This will be our, our last episode of your 20s. Wow, how about that? Can you I'm going to show up folks? with so much more wisdom on Sunday. I'm excited. We'll let you just open the show and just talk about what it what it's like being in your 30s now. Yeah, I'm going to be like the smart gremlin from Gremlins too. I'm going to have a British <laughs> accent and big glasses. You realize you have to do that bit now the entire time on Sunday when we record, right? I'm going to have to watch that then to get that down. Perfect. Perfect. Well, no, happy birthday, my friend. Congrats Thank on 30. You. Love you very much. Lucky to be your your co-host here and uh, and also to call you one of my best pals. Oh, that's very nice. Thanks, bud. Of course. I didn't mean a word of it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so, everybody, that'll do it for us here at Straight Up Sabres, presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo. Make sure you're checking out both presenters of this podcast on their respective websites. Whatever streaming platform you're currently using to listen to this episode, make sure you're checking out all of our fellow shows and giving them a listen. Also, make sure you're checking us out and making sure you're subscribed to us and or following us and leave us a nice little rating, too. We'd very much appreciate it. You can also find both presenters of this podcast on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can also find us, Straight Up Sabres. Last but not least, our sponsors. First up, we got DraftKings. Make sure you're checking out... DraftKings and using that promo code THPN at checkout to take advantage of great deals. And Thin Man Brewery, head over there for any of the games this weekend. If you want to go catch the Sabres game on Saturday, go hang out at Thin Man, get some dinner there, get some drinks, hold an event there perhaps at uh, either location for that matter. Regardless of what it is, get over to Thin Man. You will not regret it. Good times guaranteed over there. 
We'll be back with a brand new episode on Monday, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in. This has been Straight Up Sabres. <laughs>